Hello and welcome to the Art Exchange, a podcast where I talk with young artists about their art and ideas, usually after they've been bribed with cake and hot beverages. Okay, hi. Um, I'm here with Chala Tahralu, um, who is a visual artist and psychologist, and she's working across participatory performance, living material sculptures, and mainly photography and moving image at the moment. Um, but she also really interestingly works for Médecins Sans Frontières and has over the past, what is it, 10 to 10 years or so, been a clinical psychologist? Uh, since 2011. Okay, um, so you were saying um, earlier to me actually that after you finish your degree you're hoping to perhaps go half and half and do psychology for half of the year, six months, and then um, continue your art practice for the other six months. And I was just wondering if you could talk a bit more about that and how your psychology practice informs your art, or vice versa. Mm. But I think during my time in this MA, I'm trying to discover how they interact with each other, how they can feed into each other. Um, So I'm generally working on psychological themes anyway. You know, I worked on pathological feelings, extreme emotions, and I interlaced that with political context, gender studies. Um, So I apply a lot of uh, psychoanalysis and clinical psychological theory when I do art. I mean, for example, you know, I have a work whose name is Constructing Trauma. And for that, I was doing a bit research and authors were speaking about like uh, ice sensations in trauma being cut from the feelings, uh, being feeling and body dissociation. Oh, interesting. Sort of like phantom limb situations. Yeah, Yeah, a bit. Yeah. But you feel that you're not in connection with your body anymore. You feel that you're outside of the body because an event so violent has arrived that, that it has cut your connection so wow. and do you work with any of these cases um in your trauma work uh, yes i do it depends on the mission they give me of course but i do but every person is different and specific so in the artwork i am for example i try to play with the ice a lot ice and family pictures and try to create different textures what trauma may mean so in that sense, you know, my professional experiences while working as a psychologist influences my artwork also. And also, of course, my personal experiences. Yeah, of course. That's that's so interesting. So um, I guess with trauma and with um, experiences like that, when it's sort of out of body, it's quite hard to describe that in words. And maybe artwork is quite an interesting way for you as a not as a doctor, but as a psychologist, to try and figure out what's going on and how you can best respond to it. Well, exactly, yeah. I was seeing that as another way of doing research. You know, when we do research in psychology, we write a lot of words, 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 words. And uh, I'm a very visual person and I like to visualize a lot. So for me, I mean, I didn't give up the research. I'm still reading a lot. But for me, combining with, with visual research and actually producing visual work is very interesting. It somehow gives another dimension of understanding. And how does this differ from um, the art therapy workshops that you also do? So you've got your own practice, Mm -hmm. um, but you also run art therapy sessions with other people, so Mm -hmm. sort of uh, working on that participation aspect. Yeah, but not always. I mean, if the field and assessment permits it, I can construct some art therapy groups. 
But I mean, the purpose here is very different. You know, I I express my own feelings and research in my artwork. But when I do art therapy sessions, uh, the, it is not about me. It's about the caring for other people, you know, bringing help. So there I erase myself a bit and I try to be, I mean, in English, I don't know how you say it, like a medium mm-hmm. to other people. So they can express their feelings and they can elaborate on it and maybe we can help them to get through that. So you're um, you're originally from Turkey, is that right? And you've lived in France for quite a long time as well. Yeah, I mean, I went to France when I was 18 years old to study. Oh, right, okay. Uh, so actually you've been there for quite a while. Yeah, now I'm 30. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, time has a habit of doing that, mm. doesn't it? <laughs> um, so does that... Um, just living in a different country and observing the different people there and different psychological um, cases, does that affect at all how you then work in London and what you notice here? Or, and are there any differences between the three countries that you've noticed at all? Yes, of course, they are really different three countries. But I mean, I grew up in Turkey, so every experience that I had there is really rooted in my own spirit. And I think it shows a quite bit in my artwork because, you know, uh, when I deal with subjects as war scenes, uh, uh, exiled people or, you know, political issues, gender issues, I think that's closely linked to Turkey mm-hmm. because my, I can't uh, the childhood experiences and my teenager experiences uh, is I mean, they built who I am. Of course, yeah. They really inform what you do. Yeah, so then I went to the other countries, European countries, and I went uh, meeting with really different people, different educational approaches, different societies, and that really influenced me a lot. But I I really appreciated going out from Turkey for a while. I'm regularly going back, though. It's really important for me because it permits me to take distance to things, so I think if I'm inside, I think I would have been more emotional about what's happening. And now taking a distance and having the privilege to think about things is important. Yeah, it's always quite interesting to see things from sort of the outside again and be able to have that perspective. So, so some of your psychoanalysis interests do seem to inform or they appear to inform a lot of your visual practice so there's one thing I was quite interested in which was about the sort of collective unconscious and your interest in Carl Jung and I was wondering if you could talk a bit about that and how it's affected the artwork that you're producing at the moment. Mm -hmm. I mean the collective unconsciousness is definitely interesting concept but I'm not exactly working on it you know I worked on representations on how groups of people may represent things Collective of unconsciousness is very mystical Mm, subject. (laughs) (laughs) Once you read it, you sort of can't really forget about it, but you can't maybe do anything directly about it. But I really like it. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) But I I like to represent how a group of people may think, not individually, but as a group, Mm. and find different images to see how that may symbolize how they are thinking. Okay. Mm. That's interesting, yeah. So I noticed a lot of... um, So you work across quite a few different mediums, which I think many artists do, especially when they're still uh, training. Charla is on the MA Art and Science degree at the moment, um, which we were just talking about, saying it's it's quite a weird title because no one's ever really 
there's no comparable course. And when you say you're doing art and science, uh, everyone's a bit confused as to what that means. Yeah, let's say it's like a interdisciplinary fine yeah. art course. <laughs> yeah, and it does allow you to sort of experiment with things a, a bit lot. More. Mm. So yeah, so you're wo- you're working across quite a few different mediums, but it does seem to be some of the themes keep coming up um, throughout the same ones. The idea of sort of growth and decay, mm-hmm. of observing people from the outside, and I noticed with your photography a lot of it, you seem to give the viewer some information, but not not all of it, and mm-hmm. it's it's quite interesting what uh, like how much you give away of what's happening. And I was wondering if you could talk a bit about your photography series um, and how you structure them. So how you go about um, starting a series, whether it's intentional. Um, there's one particular, the sister series, where um, she's followed. A, I don't know if it's people like it must be people, you know, but you can never really see their faces. You don't know what's going on, but you know that they're sisters and you know mm-hmm. there's this bond. Um, so, yeah, I was wondering if you could talk a bit about your photography. Yeah, I always like to put a veil on things. Uh, I would like to play with this presence and absence of moments, figures, that people have impression of what's going on, but as you said, they would not clearly, logically know what's going on. Mm. So I think I'm trying to convey more emotions and feelings about the photography rather than really Cartesian, you know, Dimash. (laughs) Dimash. <laughs> um, so actually, I always think of my images like that. They come to me like that. And I try to photo them. I mean, create them as I have seen them. They always appear in my mind and I do them. Oh, I see. So then you try and construct them yeah. from that. That's interesting. But if you look at the psychoanalysis theory, I mean, you know, you have unconscious mind when everything is going on. You have really your very pure attentions, everything you have repressed, suppressed somehow. Mm. And when they come to conscious minds, there's a filter. I mean, Freud was saying that the subconscious minds uh, was playing a role of, you know, filtering the content. So I think my photography is a bit same. It's like uh, it's going out, but not completely. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, there's definitely sort of some hidden things in there that you kind of are trying to look for something more. Um, and talking of veils, so your, your current piece at the moment that you're still working on, I don't know how much you can talk about this, but um, the idea of the veil is very prominent in that. Uh, the moving image of that. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I don't know if it has a title yet. Yeah. Not yet. Not yet, okay, cool, <laughs> so watch this space. <laughs> it has been shot, but there's no title yet. <laughs> I think, you know, the curtains always appear in my work, the photography also, because I grew up with these curtains. They were, when I grew up in Turkey, there were always these white curtains. You know, it's interesting to see what's happening outside is different, and then there are these curtains and everything happening inside. <laughs> yeah, so the, um, <laughs> the moving image piece is sort of, it's you can see in the foreground this, um, lacy curtain, which means you can kind of see through it and you can see the shadows behind it. And there's a person sort of not trying to get out behind it, but definitely noticing it's there and then interacting with this. And it's a really interesting piece because, as you say, there is not only is this piece a filter to what might be happening in the subconscious mind or the collective mind, but there's a filter in the piece. So that veil is very prominent and she never gets... She never gets past it. Well, when I grew up in Turkey, you know, going through the villages, I would, you know, I would walk around and I would see these curtains with women 
walking around. And there's this village cafes, but in the village cafes, always men are sitting. And you can see women inside the house. But it depends on the areas, of course. I mean, there are areas in Turkey which women are quite liberated. And also we have these village areas that we are seeing that kind of thing. Or maybe when you can go to south villages, women are working more than men. Mm-hmm. They're outside, but they are working. But I was always impressed by this curtain thing, you know, they can live through curtain. And when I went to Kashmir in India, uh, you know, it's a very impressive city also. There was also this curtain thing. They were using the same curtain. So I thought maybe in a Muslim culture, this veiling, you know, intimate life and separation of outside is very important. So that's how the idea is born about shooting this piece with a woman who wants to get out of the veil you know he is living she's living inside the veil mm, but she can't yeah mm. that sort of like very physical divide between public yeah. and private i think so yeah and who's allowed who's but allowed i would not like to generalize on every culture mm. i'm just speaking of what i have seen and experienced mm. yeah of course mm. of course so let's go into talking a bit more about some of the your particular past works so when i first um, met you it was at the Somehow You and I Collide exhibition in Mangal in East London. And the piece that you were showing was part of the growing photography series. And just to give a bit of background to this, it's it's a photography piece, but it still has the presence of time because um, Chala has planted seeds into the photograph and you can't really, as a viewer, tell how it's made and they're growing. Uh, and so it's a sort of it's a temporal piece as well as um, being an image, a still image. Um, so would you like to talk a bit about that and what your inspirations were with that? Well, it's been a while that I was a bit bothered by how photography was static. Mm. You know, it was just capturing a moment and it's this rectangle piece or, you know, square piece, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> but, it's, but trapped, it, yes, it? it's trapped. It's <laughs> trapped. It's it's in like a, in a system of how it's supposed to be. So I was thinking how I can get over this and um, the idea of this living photographies came to me. Okay. And I really tried to find a way to create living photographies. It was not that easy to create uh, the papers. And, you know, I basically created a giant Petra dish with agar and I produced a seed paper and then I find a way to screen print it and then it starts growing through the image, you know, all these war scenes. And at the end of the exhibition, you can see that they are covered in plants. Mm. So and then the plants will eventually die also. So it's like making the cycle of life inside of the photography. That's really interesting. And mm. what was the subject of the actual photograph? Oh, uh, it was a bombardment of Aleppo. Because there's the, the organic growth at the same time as um, an image of something that has been destroyed, mm-hmm. which is quite an interesting parallel. Mm-hmm. And this sort of happens in quite a few of your works. You, like, you use botanical elements quite a lot with destroyed physical things. So there's the, um, this piano that's only part of it, mm-hmm. but it's also got ivy growing up it, and it's a very, um, it's a very visually arresting piece and has photography where botanical elements interact with people's bodies and so forth so this is quite an interesting theme of yours really that you explore with um, destruction but also organic growth Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah is this part of a series are you planning to do any more 
I think it will always stay with me because it's really a team who inspires me a lot, this concept of uh, relationship between the living, the botanic and the body. But in, in some way, I think it's a metaphor about life. You know, we will all go to this botanic state for <laughs> uh, after a while. And I think the nature is more powerful than us. So uh, in some way, but I'm still trying to figure out, you know, these images are going out and I'm still trying to figure out the exact meaning of it. But, you know, sometimes I just leave my experimentations. That's but, all part of it, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> but it's, you know, for example, for the growing photography piece, covering a war scene with plants, it's like saying this will pass one day too. I mean, the nature will take its rights there also. Yeah, and the, the way that they're sort of grounded, and as you say, they are almost stronger than humanity but when you see the actual individual plants I mean they're, they're obviously very like fragile looking mm. still it's really it's really interesting it, it does provoke a lot of thoughts and as you say it's hard to like find the exact meaning in things that you've done sometimes but about the ivy piece for example when the ivy was growing in the piano it was for representing the sickness you know it was a desolate piano and the ivy was tr- growing through it eventually destroying it but at the end of destruction, there was not nothing. There was something. There was life anyway. Yeah. But it was ivy. Mm-hmm. So piano was like the body of someone. The ivy was destroying it. And when I started doing this hallucinatory uh, moving image pieces, you can, you can see, for example, I play with rose thorns, mm-hmm. as if the rose thorns were going through the body. Um, I have quite a lot of photography pieces. Yeah, you can see branches of the um, plants or trees going out from the body. Yes, mm. and sort of the ones where it's a double exposure mm-hmm. and you, can so, you can't really tell which is person and which is plant, which is quite interesting, or which is background. Yes, yes. Mm. So I always work on that, that's true. But they always mean different things. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting theme. Because there is also this um, interesting piece that doesn't actually have any plants in it, but is similarly about destruction um that was the one with the cake uh, yeah that's a collaborative project that i did with dila yumurtaji who is a turkish uh living arts artist i mean performance she's I doing contemporary dance also okay um so we tried to convey what's to what's the nature of desire mm. so we put her in front of a cake very okay. delicious cake that she was not supposed to eat for one week one week? Yeah, one week. It, the Ooh. cake stayed <laughs> in the room for one week. Okay. And then the cake started decaying. Mm. And we were meeting at regular points in every day. Uh, and I was kind of documenting her reactions to this cake. So at first she was really attracted by it, you know, because you have to eat that cake. And when the cake started to decay, mm, she, yeah. <laughs> she <laughs> was really repulsed. So it was interesting. I mean, she told me after that I would never eat that kind of cake again. Oh, no. <laughs> but <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe a blessing, maybe a curse. Well, that's the traumatic part. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, we found that both very interesting because, you know, how fragile the desire is. Mm-hmm. One day you have the desire to eat that cake, which is a really delicious strawberry cake. Yeah. yeah. And it's not permanent and it's decaying. So the other day you will be revolved by the same object. But is it the same object? So it asks that kind of question. 
Yeah. So the uh, so you sort of documented it through photography. Yeah, we have some videos also. Do you see your art practice sometimes as forming these experiments? Because that seems like quite a sort of an experiment to see to test like where is the point that she's desiring it and where is the point that she's absolutely repulsed by it Mm -hmm. maybe this is a weird question but where do you locate the artwork in that is it the whole process is it the documentation of it i think it's the the whole process yeah and the documentation of course yeah it's about creating a free space when we can experiment all these emotions i think it's the same a bit as my tate piece okay yeah do you want to talk a bit about that because that's also a one that people participate in yeah which is because with your photography people participate but you're kind of leading it and as you say you're constructing the photograph but with these live pieces it must be a very different process for you but i think the common point is there's still process because there there is a starting point and an ending point Mm. or maybe a circular point i don't know (laughs) (laughs) but there is something going on yeah and the process is very pleasing and i guess uh, as you're Mm. trained as a psychologist yeah something is transforming or modifying and that's very interesting to see well the link between my tate piece tate piece was more uh, inspired by art therapy but, you know, it was clay. And when people were coming, I was asking them, what do they want to liberate themselves from? Mm. And that was the title of the piece, yes. isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, uh, under the seemingly very nice appearance of things, people really talked about intimate things. Mm. You know, I got the video I can show you later. People, for example, one girl was saying, this is my ex-boyfriend and I have to say goodbye now. So she was putting him in the clay. A, a girl who did Trump squash Trump, for okay. example. Well, yeah, but no, some enough. people were very delicate with their things. It's not mm. that they hated the thing they wanted to liberate themselves from. They, yeah. It was really precious to them, but they needed to move on. But there was a lot of interesting discussions around this artwork and I really liked this participation. Mm. So I was a bit facilitator in it, you know, I put set the process and then I facilitate how the work is going on. I would like to do that in a more larger scale, too. Yeah, because that must be really interesting for you to observe, mm. like having set up the entire project and then just take a step back, seeing how people respond. Mm. Um, did people, did it take them a long time to work out what they wanted to deliberate themselves from or were they just like snap? Yeah, I know exactly what it is. Did Depends on people. Some people yeah. were snap. Some people were like, okay, I have to think about it. And we were discussing together. Mm. But I think I want to make people think also. It's not all about me. I'm just not like for, you know, documenting other people's feelings. It's just I make, I, I think I want to make them feel something, you Absolutely. know, make them think. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's a very, that would have been a very powerful way to do it. Mm. Mm. And I'm really grateful they did that and they chose to share things with me. Yeah, do you feel sort of nervous before you do a piece like that? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is actually quite uh, similar to a piece I'm studying at the moment, which is um, about things in the millennium. So as it was turning the year 2000, uh, things that people wanted to throw away. And it's, it, uh, there was a call out for like, what would you like to throw away the most and what do you not need anymore? I think it's called something like a thousand things people don't need. But the idea of it not was was not to um, throw away just absolutely useless things like your sandwich wrapper or whatever. It was more things that people have been holding on to mm-hmm. when they really shouldn't have. Like things like, oh, my ex-boyfriend's old socks or something like that. Or like Mm -hmm. something that reminds me of a painful memory or a happy memory that I don't have anymore. 
And it was really interesting to see what people were like, I've kept this, I'm going to throw it away. Mm -hmm. And then they actually toured the items. Mm -hmm. So the items were never thrown away. That's interesting. Like they were almost Mm -hmm. held up as um, Mm -hmm. more interesting than your usual items. So yeah, that sort of drew a few parallels for me. Um, Yeah. I'll send you some more information on that because you might find it interesting. (laughs) You you should send them, yes. (laughs) But I think it's, uh, you know, I travel a lot. You know, I lived in Kathmandu for a while in Nepal. I, I traveled a lot in India, Asia, and I had to move all the time and I can't possess these objects. But I would like to, you know, being an artist, I would like to have more art equipment. It would be really nice. Yeah. But no, I can't have anything very heavy and stuff. So Yeah, because actually in, with it. in relation to your practice, a lot of your artwork is portable yes <laughs> I mean it's it's stuff that you create at that time or it's photography or it's moving image so actually that does sort of make sense with your lifestyle is that something that you considered before is it a purposeful act or kind of yes you know the interim show piece is definitely dead by now oh yeah the giant <laughs> it's petri dish that's it's true. literally dead <laughs> oh gosh that's really sad so it, it, you brought it to life you watched it like sort of grow and now now it's died, now it's died. did you have to throw it away <laughs> no i didn't i'm you still looking it. at it but i think i might have to this summer <laughs> yeah potentially, potentially. Mm. but you could always grow another one. <laughs> oh, i so, did for the time lapse animations i will try yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, that would be an interesting way to see it. So, um, uh, yeah, Charla has, um, her, for this moving image piece that we were talking about earlier, the growing photography, uh, plans to do it in time lapse as well as a different way to illustrate what was happening, which is quite interesting because you, like as a viewer, I, I went there, I saw it, I looked at it for five minutes, and that's five minutes of its lifespan mm-hmm. because it's a growing piece. Whereas, the next person that comes the next day saw an entirely different thing. Yes. Like, how important do you think it is for your viewers and your audience to see the whole piece, the entire thing, or to see segments? Mm, yeah, I'm still questioning myself on that. Mm-hmm. I think it might be... They will more have be conscious of time if I do a time-lapse. But if they see the whole piece, it's not uninteresting either, I mean, to see, because you definitely see there's something living there and growing... Yeah, it's interesting to do it both ways, actually. And mm. see, it's like, as you were saying, a sort of experiment. But it's more practical also, you know. Uh, I have to have some documentation and I don't think that the photo tells the story well enough mm. because it's very static. So I think I need this video to present the work also. That's true, mm. yeah, because it was very interesting to see. But as you say, the photo mm. doesn't necessarily illustrate what's going on. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much. Um, so I have I have a little section at the end where we talk about um, what we're going to name this episode. Okay. Based on what we've been talking about. Um, so, yeah, what have we been talking about? <laughs> we've been talking about a lot of things. Yeah, quite a lot. How <laughs> do we encompass this into, like, less mm. than five words? I'm not sure. Mm. Um, so we've talked a lot about sort of experiments and observations Mm -hmm. and how that can relate to art Mm. and photography um i wonder if there's anything in that i'm always trying to go after a pun but i don't think i'm ever quick enough (laughs) (laughs) no me neither (laughs) yeah yeah we talk about a lot of process cycle circular (laughs) yeah life (laughs) experimental works 
Mm. Going out of this, you know, system of representations to find other ways to work on the image, mm. also psychological access. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what how to call it really. Mm. Experiments in something. Yeah. Experiments in viewing or something like, like that. Experiments in. I would like to say experiments in unconscious mind or something, but it's such a cliche. Experiments <laughs> in unconscious life. <laughs> Sounds very heavy, doesn't yes, it? Yes, it's really heavy. So my work is heavy enough sometimes. That's, <laughs> that's yeah, that's true. <laughs> mm, experiments in something. I'm always conscious that I don't want to like, name your work. <laughs> mm. But there's yeah. definitely psychological elements, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I actually quite like experiments in something. Experiments <laughs> in something. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's it. <laughs> Experiments in something. Experiments in psychology of something. <laughs> yeah, that'll draw people in. I'm sure. I'm sure. They will say, "Oh, what a competent psychologist." Yes, exactly. Psychology of something. <laughs> She's okay. So are we happy with that? Okay. Yeah. Okay. It'll do. It'll do. No. Well, thank you very much. It's been so interesting talking to you about. Uh, well, your multiple careers. Essentially. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for inviting me. It was great. You're very welcome. Mm-hmm. See you next time. Bye-bye.